Now, every we, we, we live in this world that is full of grace. Situations that arise that uh, aren't quite cut and dry. We have to, to look through things and figure things out. But yet we serve a God who, who calls us to live out His commandments in black and white. We have to figure out how to take these black and white commandments and, and work them into this world of grace. And every once in a while, a, a passage of Scripture comes along that's kind of hard to swallow. Um, we think we know it, but then the underlying meaning sometimes can really get to us. We're starting a, a short series this week called Rough Red Letters, Things I Wish Jesus Never Said, the, the hard teachings of Jesus. And um, those teachings that sometimes, if those teachings weren't there, I could just happily live in my hands. You know, if Jesus didn't say that, my life would be so much easier. And those are the teachings we're looking at. Uh, and we start with the passage that all of us know. Um, one we fall back on, one that when someone calls us on a failure of ours in living out our Christian faith, we, we kind of go, well, you know, at least I, and we come back here to, to part of this passage. And it's there in Matthew chapter 22. And we find, again, the Pharisees trying to come to Jesus and, and speak with him and try to catch him. And there in verse 34, it says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question of the test. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel this morning. May the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, bless this time. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Background in this passage, of course, Paul's Sunday has passed. The triumphal entry has happened. People have, have welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, crying out that he was going to save them. And these things have happened. And so now there is this push of teaching that Jesus does after Palm Sunday, getting ready to go to the cross. And he's made enough waves that the leadership is trying to find a way to get rid of it. And so the Sadducees here right before this come and ask him, you know, one of these impossible questions trying to trip him up about marriage. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a dumb question, but they still ask it, right? They ask these questions. Kind of like the question that we might have somebody ask us, can God make a rock so big you can't pick it up? That doesn't matter. That's ridiculous. And I don't know how Jesus would answer that, but he would have an answer for it. So Jesus answered the Sadducees, and he shut them up. And so when the Pharisees found out that he had silenced the Sadducees, they wanted to jump in and prove that he's not a teacher. He's not, he's not anything more than just a, a good man. He's a learned man. That's all he is. He's not a prophet. He's nothing more. He, he's just somebody simple. And so one of them asked him a question that any true rabbi should know how to answer. What is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, the truth is, any good Israelite should know the greatest commandment in the law. It's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love God with all you got. I mean, that's, that's it. They're taught that from a very young age. And so when they ask this question to Jesus... 
They're trying to say, you know, he's been doing some pretty radical things. Let's see how he answers this question. So they ask the question, and he says, well, that's easy. Love God with all you got. And so that's where they're at. Okay, well, he's answered the question properly. Now we know they're probably thinking, now what are we going to do? And he says, that's what you've got to do. And th but then he adds something. You know, this isn't... Loving God with all you've got isn't the thing that really, that I wish he hadn't said. Because loving God with all I've got is very much a subjective thing. Because nobody will really see how much I love God. Because I can try to put on a show, but Jesus tells me from the very show of how much I try to show people that I love God. I really don't love God. I'll put on a show for someone else. So that's very subjective. The part that sometimes I wish Jesus hadn't have said is the same thing the Pharisees wish he hadn't said. He says the second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. Huh. Now, for those of us in church, that's not uncomfortable at first glance, right? We go, eh, that's okay. I can do that. But I think we're not uncomfortable because we kind of gloss over it. We, we go at it like this. I just can't hate my neighbor. He didn't say I have to like my neighbor. He said I have to love my neighbor. So I just can't hate my neighbor. And so we kind of gloss over it and we go on. But is that what really Jesus is, is getting at here? Is that what he's really saying? And so the answer to that and then the next question that asks literally just shuts everybody up. Why is this, this thought so uncomfortable for the Pharisees and on some level uncomfortable for us? So this morning, if you're taking the notes, there are six ways this verse turns our faith upside down. And the first thing is, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you must learn to love yourself. Now you may think, well, duh, but we don't act that way sometimes. If you don't love yourself, you can't know how, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself? If I hate myself and, and I hate the things in me, I, I find that I can't love someone with that same thing. I've counseled many people when it comes to marriage or looking for marriage. You can't search for love if you don't love yourself first. Because if you don't love yourself, you don't know what you're looking for. You don't know where you want to go. And we need to love the creature God made us to be. But society puts that down. This is a very hard, hard world for our kids to grow up in. I mean, every other app, every other statement is a statement about how someone should look. About what they should be. And so we watch... If we watch closely, this generation of young people who are struggling with these ideas of body image because of what the world has said. But God didn't make everyone to look the same. He just didn't. And if we all looked the same, it would be kind of, you know, we'd be clones. That's kind of weird. That's kind of Star Wars. -ish. That's Matt's department, not mine. We're not doing clones. We're doing individuals, right? God has called us to be someone. He's called us to be a body. We can't all be the head. We can't all be a thumb. We have to be different. And so here, we have to understand that this society wants to put us down and sin drags us down. And it changes the way we view humanity. It changes the way we view ourselves. And even after salvation, some of us only see the wretch that we used to be. Right? Well, I still remember what I used to be. I can't get past what I used to be. I can't get past where I came from. And so we have a hard time loving ourselves. But if you don't love and care for yourself, you really can't. This command's worthless. Love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say love your neighbor as I love your neighbor. He didn't say love your neighbor as you, as you love your other neighbors. 
He didn't say love your neighbor as you love your mama. He said love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so the first thing we have to do is, is learn to love ourselves. Learn to love who God created us to be. Now that doesn't mean that we love our sin or we love the things that we're tied down in, but we love the person that God created us to be. We have that love for ourselves. Where we want to take care of ourselves. Where we want to love ourselves. We want to give ourselves good things. Because when we get to that point with ourselves, then we can learn to love someone else as I love myself. Because if I just hate myself, my love for someone else isn't going to go very far. So you have to learn to love yourself. But you also have, must define your neighbor. You know, you could go home and just start loving the people in the house next to you. And that's a great start. I'm not going to tell you not to. It's something you can do. But what does God mean? We've dealt with this same question before over in Luke chapter 10 when we talked about the parables, right? Because the guy comes to Jesus and he wants to justify himself, give a limit for what he has to do. And Jesus says, well, a certain man was going down the road to Jericho. And he gives the good Samaritan story to define who your neighbor is. He says, which of these was the neighbor? And he says, go and do likewise. So who is your neighbor isn't really the right question. The question is, who are you? Who are you? You're called of God if you believe in Jesus. You're a saint. You're, you're, you're blood-bought. You, you have been given freedom to do great things, and, and God has called you into this. And so your neighbor then becomes really, because what Jesus said, everyone that God brings you into contact with. So this becomes love everyone as you would yourself. There's some people that I don't like, right? I mean, I just get on my nerves. I can't stand it. I can't. I can't be around them. I, I, if I'm around them, I, I start I start hurting. But we're called to love everyone. Who does this include? Well, it includes everybody. Your neighbors next door, your neighbors down the street, the people in town, Baptist, Methodist, Church of Christ, Assembly of God, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, Muslims, ISIS, anybody. We're called to love everybody. That's scary sometimes, but that's a hard thing to do, right? It's hard to just love everybody. Troy, do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they did to Jesus? What they did to me is this, this chicken feed compared to what they did to Jesus. But he still loved them. He still did what, what God had called him to do. And so we have to define our neighbor, but we also must define love. Sometimes our English language is very limiting. In Greek, there are six words for love. And they all have a different meaning. Here, the word is agape. Or agape. It's a selfless love. It's not feeling. It's not butterflies. It's not excitement. It's so hard because when we live in America and we read English, we read love your neighbor as yourself. And we think about love and we start thinking about Bugs Bunny and our pebula few and the hearts that come out when he's looking at the cat, right? The butterfly feelings. But the love that he talks about here isn't butterflies. It's not excitement. It's not feelings. It's an action word. Actually, the only feeling involved in agape love really is empathy, compassion, and concern. That's agape love. It's the divine selfless love which goes to any length to attain the well-being of its object. back at the Good Samaritan, 
you had the Samaritan who stopped, right? And he gave of himself. He, he put himself in danger. Because the road to Jericho was known as a very dangerous place. Uh, there are certain parts of, of, of the big cities of Fort Worth and Dallas that, that you might not feel comfortable in. There, there are places that might be dangerous to go. And, you know, driving through those, you may go, oh my goodness, what's going to happen here? And you're hesitant to stop in those places because what's going to happen if I stop? You have, in the Good Samaritan story, the rabbi and the priest who both come by and they don't stop. They cross on the other side, not only because of the danger, but because they don't want to make themselves unclean and they're in a hurry. But the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan man, he stops. He puts his life in danger and then he picks up the man and takes him and then he pays for anything that he has to have. And he put his own well-being, he put his own money, he put something of cost to him up to make sure that the well-being of this other person was taken care of. Love is this action that we do to take care of people around us. Love is the idea that we put someone else's needs in front of our own. That's agape love. And then we get to the part that really, honestly, makes me the most uncomfortable. And bear with me, because you're going to look at me and go, I don't know about this, but that's okay. These two commands are equal. These two commands are equal. When you read this, he says the second is like it. It's not, it's not a designation of secondary importance. It's a statement of continuing relevance. They didn't ask him for the first and second commands. They asked him for the greatest command. And he said, well, the greatest command is this, and the second goes along with it. The second is it. The second is there. It is this idea of being equal in importance. You cannot say the greatest commandment is loving God, and the second greatest commandment is loving your neighbor. Really, what Jesus says here is the first greatest commandment is loving God with all you have, and the second part of that is loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, this isn't two commandments that can be separated. They're two commandments which together make up the greatest commandment. You can't say, well, I love God with everything I have, so that'll have to do while I work on the other. I've been guilty of that. You've been guilty of that? Well, I'm loving God as much as I can. I'll love my neighbor a little bit better later. That's not what the text says here. The text says it's, it's equal. It's continuing importance. You cannot love God with everything you have without loving people. <laughs> you show your total love for God by how you love your neighbor. Doesn't matter how many good t-shirts I wear. They say, you know, back in, back when I was in high school, there was one that had Jesus with the cross that said, bench press this, right? And then you could have real men love Jesus bumper sticker on your car. <coughs> you can go to church every time the doors are open. But how you show your love for God is how you love your neighbor. When he connected these two commands as the greatest, he was correcting the bad teaching in Israel. Because Israel was called from the beginning to be a blessing to those around them. And instead, they closed up shop, put walls up around everything in there. Not literal walls, but they, they said, no, we are a Jewish people. You were Gentiles, you stay away. And completely throughout the prophets, what we read that God says to 
to Israel is their greatest sin wasn't that they weren't faithful to God. Their greatest sin was they didn't love people. They didn't take care of people. That was the greatest sin of Israel in the Old Testament. That's what the prophets continue to tell them. I don't like your sacrifices. He even says in once that your offerings are a stench in my nostrils. Because you didn't love people. Because you didn't take care of people. Because you let their needs go without being met. Those are the things that, that God called them out <clears throat> You say, you told them, you say you're following me, but you're really playing with religion. <laughs> you show your love by loving others. Which brings us to number six. Love is the lens through which everything else is viewed. I love, there's that word, 1 Corinthians 13. The first few verses, I'm, you know, if I speak in human or angelic languages, but have not love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I donate all my gifts to feed the poor and I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Without love, it all falls apart. Without love, there's nothing there. Without love, you're just a bunch of noise. That's what it says, a clanging gong. You ever heard of clanging gong? That car one time that... Uh, Muffler had fallen off on. He had to drive home. Clang, 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 clang. Man, that was the noisiest thing in the world to hear on the way home. But that's what it says, a clanging gong. It's that, it's that, it's that sound that makes you go, oh, if you can do all these things, but love is not there, it falls apart. In Galatians, we have the fruit of the Spirit. What's the first one? Love. Because love is the key. You have love, and love brings joy, and joy brings peace, and peace brings kindness, and it, and, it, and it builds on each other, because love is the lens through which everything else is love. Without love, faithfulness becomes legalism. What Jesus is saying is that love is the greatest, and putting the needs of those around you in front of your own, going to any length to attain the well-being of those around us, that is true faith in God. That is true love. God. You know, Christianity would be so much easier if you just had to love God, right? If I just had to love God, it would be easy. But every religion calls you to love God. What makes us different is that we're called to love others. That's what sets Christianity apart. I'm called to love someone else. I'm called to put someone else's needs in front of my own. I'm called to love in such a way that they cannot help but see God in the things that are happening. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. Sometimes it's that phone call that you need to get the right moment. Sometimes it's the card that you get in the mail. Sometimes it's the hug that you didn't know you needed. Loving doesn't have to be what the world tells us loving is. Loving needs to be what the Bible tells us. 
Maybe this morning you've been struggling with either part of the story. Maybe you have felt a little let down by God at times. Sometimes, sometimes life doesn't go the way we want life to go. Did I say this this morning in the Bible reading? I think I did. Maybe preaching the same sermon again. You watch the Bible reading, I'm sorry. That's what it's going to be again. Sometimes we don't we don't get what we want in the end. We don't, we don't. I don't think John the Baptist expected to die in prison. He came to make way for the Messiah, and he had his head taken. But he never lost faith. Maybe today you have been wondering why, why things haven't been going your way and it's been hard to love God with all that you got. Just take a step back and say, okay, let me start by loving those around me. You know, it's amazing when we love those around us how much easier it becomes to love God. Because we begin to see, in spite of all of our faults, that we have something in common. And maybe it is those faults that we have in common. Maybe this morning, though, there is somebody that you know that God has been saying, I need you to love this person. And you've been going, but God, I don't like them. Well, get over it. It's time to love them. It's time to, to say, okay, God, I, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to give them the love that they need because only through my love may they see your love. Maybe this morning you have some other day. Maybe the altar's open off and you, know, you can pray. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never taken a step to say, I want to be His Now's the time to do it. We're not promised tomorrow. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings.